0: Good morning, church. Good to be with you today. I had trouble waking up today. I don't know about you, but it was a gray day in the first Sunday of the year. I'm just, I'm still a little bit sleepy. I could use a nap. Right now, I'll try not to take it in the middle of uh, my own sermon, but if you do, I will understand. I will absolutely. It, it's sort of one of those uh, days. Uh, listen, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the ministers here. I am so glad you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. You're in the right place. Uh, it's a new year, it's a new day, and I'm glad we get to share it together. I am crazy excited. About um, what we've got planned for this year as a church. This is going to be a really, really important year for us as a church. I, I really think this, this year will be one of the most important years in the history of our church. And I know that sounds like it's got to be an exaggeration. It isn't. I, I think that's where we are as a church. I'm excited about that. If you want to know why I think that, then you need to be at the Worship and Vision Nights coming up January 21st and 24th. Uh, we've been advertising these for a little bit. I think we can put that up. On the screen so if you want to say yeah that's it right there you want to be there it's going to be show up right here on the evening of January 21st or 24th the two events will be the same Uh, we're going to talk about some vision and strategy and some new initiatives that are coming for this church that will be transformational to our church it's going to be a major major undertaking if you want to know what's going on you want to be there at those two events Um, so don't miss that I'm also excited for the series that starts today. Uh, It's called uh, An Old Calendar for a New Year. And um, Adam really got us headed in the right direction last week. If if you were gone uh, for New Year's Eve, I love the message Adam preached last week. He, uh, He took us to this wonderful text from Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just love this invitation from Jesus. I, I've noticed, just kind of in my own spirit, that I am sort of starting this new year um, like the way Jesus describes, weary and burdened. That's kind of just how the new year has begun to me. I'm not sure exactly why, it's just the reality. And my guess is some of you have too. And Jesus says, if that's the case, if you've started the new year tired, come to me. And then then Adam talked last week about how Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. I love that image of being yoked up with Jesus. In fact, I love this image so much that I actually, I spent months, uh, like five years ago, tracking down in antique stores this exact yoke, and I bought it just so that I would have it as a sermon illustration for the rest of my life so that we would know, because we don't use a lot of yokes, but I want people to know what Jesus means when he's saying, get yoked up with me. Uh, If I had a smaller head, this would work easier. But anyways, he says, get yoked up with me. Get strapped in with Jesus so that wherever he goes, you go. And if he goes fast, you go fast. And if he goes slow, you go slow. And when he stops and rests, you would stop and rest. Man, I just tell you, there is nothing I want more in the world than to be yoked up with Jesus. That is the thing I want most for my life. I want to move when he moves, where he moves, at the speed he moves. I want to go where he wants me to go and nowhere that he doesn't want me to go. I wish, I wish in my life, I wish I was strapped in a little tighter with Jesus so that I couldn't wander off. And this series is sort of a response to that desire the desire to be yoked up, strapped in with Jesus so that we would go where he goes and move where he moves, when he moves, how he moves, where he moves, at the pace that he's moving. That's what I want for my life. It's called an old calendar for a, a new year. Uh, not completely different than the idea you you hear you hear some people say you know I need a new calendar for a new year in fact actually a couple weeks ago I um in in the store in the one, one uh afternoons scrolling on Instagram I, I came across two different ads that were advertising a new calendar for a, a new year one was for an app they wanted me to download on my phone and one was for a, an old-school day planner they wanted me to order on Amazon and this was gonna be a new calendar for for a new year. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I get the impulse. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic with the impulse, new calendar for a new year. Because it, we're acknowledging the reality that l- our current calendar isn't working for us. And I think a lot of us know that's true. Our current calendar, our current schedule, our current pace, our current to do list isn't working for us. It isn't turning us into the people we want to turn into. It isn't shaping our kids. You know, I remember talking with a parent three or four years ago. We were just talking about raising kids and how hard it was. And they said this. They said, Ethan, what I know is I have allowed my children to commit to a schedule that isn't turning them into the people I want them to be. I have allowed my children to commit to a schedule that isn't turning them into the kind of people I want to be. In this case, this, this particular family we went on, the issue was sports. And they kind of joked. They said, yes, my kids are on a schedule to turn into better than average soccer players. And it turns out that being a better than average soccer player is about the most meaningless thing in the world. Not good enough to do anything with it just good enough to have it take up all of your time and so they were wrestling with that right and 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 a lot of us recognize that we our current schedule our current calendar isn't working out for us isn't working out for our families isn't working out for ourselves so so we need to do something about the current calendar so i'm sympathetic with the new calendar for a new year impulse but i'm actually not sure what we need is a new calendar I think maybe what we need is an old calendar. In fact, real bluntly, we're going to just say, if we're yoked up with Jesus, we're going to just say, okay, Jesus, how did you schedule your time? In in this series, we're going to talk about how did Jesus schedule his year? How did he schedule his week? And today, how did he schedule his day? How did Jesus organize his day? We could go to the Gospels. There's a lot we would learn about how Jesus organized his day. Uh, We would discover that, um, like most Jews of that time, he organized his day to begin in the evening. The day began at sundown. And there's a lot to learn from that. It means that the first thing you do in the day is go home and eat a meal and be with your family. And rest. That's the way the day starts. And then whatever energy you have left over at the end of the day, you get up in the morning and go to work. That's what you do last. I like that. We can look at what Jesus filled his day with. What were the activities of his day? What did he do in his day? Preach the good news of the kingdom? Care for the poor? Feed the hungry? What did he do this day? Uh, I want to focus on something just a little different though, if we're going to learn from his calendar. I want to talk a little bit about how did Jesus punctuate his day? Not what did he fill it with, but how did he punctuate the life that he was living? You know, punctuation, that's those little marks, right, that interrupt the flow of words, right? We can have all these words, but without a little punctuation, it just becomes word salad. Punctuation is what makes it sentences. And and, and the the wrong punctuation can make a sentence go bad, you know. There's a spice company that my wife and I shop at. We like their spices. And their slogan is this. Love people. Cook them tasty food. That's a fun slogan for a spice company. I like that. But if you get the punctuation wrong, you can be in trouble. It could say, love people, cook them, tasty food. See, that's a very different slogan, right? You see what I'm saying? Just a little bit, a little change in the punctuation and suddenly we have, uh, you know, some serious, serious problems, okay? And our lives are the same, We could talk a lot about how paying attention to how Jesus spent his day will change how your day, but today I just want to talk about the punctuation. I just want to talk about the punctuation of his day. The pauses, you know, a comma, that's where you just pause for a little bit, a period, that's where you come to a full stop. Because Jesus made sure that his day was well punctuated and that punctuation made all the difference. Every day of Jesus' life had, I'm going to call it this, I'm going to call them daily disruptions dedicated to devotion. Every day of his life, he intentionally and on purpose disrupted, stopped, interrupted, changed the flow of busy activities so he could focus on devotion to God. We could look through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and find dozens and dozens of illustrations of this. I'm going to just give you a couple. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He started the day with dedication to devotion. Is this because he didn't have anything to do that day? This is sort of an, a light day? Well, no. In fact, there was so much that Jesus needed to be done that people went looking for him. They tracked him down. Simon and his companions went to look for him. They found him. They explained, everyone's looking for you. You've got to get to work. And Jesus was going to do plenty of work that day. Don't worry. He had a full busy day planned. But it started somewhere. It started with an interruption, a disruption from the busyness of his day. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Jesus has just had a major healing event. His power and majesty has been displayed in a demonstrable way that everybody sees. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. And the news about him spread all the more that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And prayed. What what does it tell us that Jesus, with a crowd of sick people waiting to be healed, would say? Pause one second. Just I I can see. Yep, you next, and you. I'll get right back to you. Totally going to heal you in a second. But right now, I'm going to run away and pray. Apparently, this whole interrupt your day with prayer stuff was pretty important to Jesus. The people around him are saying, do more, accomplish more, get more done. Here I am, serve me, help me. And he said, yep, but first, period, end of sentence, we're gonna go, we're gonna go pray. Again, texts like this are all throughout the descriptions of Jesus' life. Uh, While it never directly says it, it's reasonable to assume that like many devout Jews of Jesus' day, Jesus practiced a discipline that we sometimes today called praying the hours, meaning that he had set scheduled times of prayer throughout the day. Uh, The Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day. In the book of Acts, we see Jesus' disciples going up to the temple at the hour of prayer in order to pray at these set times. So probably that was something they learned from Jesus when they were yoked up with him, that Jesus, too, set aside prayer at set times of day. Even when he was busy, perhaps we might even say especially when he was busy, Jesus knew how to pause, stop, turn his attention to God before he got back to it. We sometimes miss this because we're we're naturally focused on the the big stories of the Bible that we kind of miss the little story. I'll give you an example. Um, Matthew chapter 14 has some big stories. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 tells us the story of when Jesus fed more than 5,000 people all at once. It tells us the story where he walked on water and calmed the waves. Those are big stories. But I want to read for you, I want to read for you the end of that story where he fed all the people and the beginning of the story where he walked on water. And I want you to look for the little tiny story in between the two big stories, okay? We're going to sort of ignore the big stories and you're going to look for the the little story. Okay, so here's how the big story of him feeding all those people ends. Matthew 14, verse 20. They all ate, that's all the people, and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, plus all the women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then he goes and he walks to the boat, and it's amazing. Two big stories, feeding 5,000 men plus all the women and children, walking on water, calming a storm, all these big stories. Did, Did you see the little story in between, the little story in between the two big stories? He went up on the mountain, and he he prayed. He prayed. If you want to be yoked up with Jesus this year, if you want your schedule to look more like his schedule, you're going to need daily disruptions dedicated to devotion. I want to be real up front about my goal for today's sermon. Uh, My goal is not for you to be persuaded. Huh, I guess Jesus did pray a bunch. Cool. I won't even be satisfied for you to decide, you know, I probably should too. That would be good for me. Neither of those outcomes interest me at all. My goal for today's message is very, very simple. I want to and I want for you to identify specific practices of daily disruption that can redirect your heart to Jesus. That's what I want you to do. And I want you to commit to one. And try it. I got some advice for you as you do this. Okay. I want you, as you do this, my advice for you is this. Avoid legalism. But do not reject discipline. This is hard to do. These two things are intentional. I see Christians mess this up all the time. I mess this up all the time. We develop a discipline, right? We say, I need to do X. And then if we ever fail or ever don't do it, we're like, oh my goodness, I'm a terrible person. I said I was gonna do it. Or we get tired of the legalism. And so we just say, yeah, I just sort of pray when I feel like it. You know, I don't wanna get tied down. I don't wanna be legalistic. And so just, if the spirit moves, I'll move. Both of those are false traps. Okay. You can pursue discipline without becoming legalistic about it. You could say, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to begin every day in in consistent prayer. I'm going to begin every day that way. That would be a discipline you would commit to. And then one Thursday at 1130, you'll remember, oh, shoot, I didn't pray. You're not going to freak out. You're just going to pull over to the nearest parking lot. Stop. Pray. Just do it. See, that's, that's the discipline is you just do it. You know, legalism freaks out every time you fall short. Laziness says, oh, there is no standard. Discipline says, no, no, I'm going to choose a standard. I'm going to aim for it. I'm going to trust that as I work toward this, God will accomplish good in my life. I'm going to give you some ideas about what practices you might want to pursue. All of these are practices we see from Jesus' life. You might want to pursue all of them. You might want to pursue a couple of them. I don't know. But, but you could figure it out. I'll give you one example. This is a fun one. I was uh, in December, just last month. I was uh, meeting with a couple here at church. We were talking about some stuff. It was a fun conversation. And in the middle of our conversation, simultaneously, both of their phone alarms went off. Which is a little odd. They both would have alarms. It was the middle of the day. It was like two in the afternoon, something like that. We're just sitting there talking. Both of their phone alarms went off. I assume this was their strategy to get out of meeting with me. That's what I decided. They you know, they're going to pretend it was a phone call or something like that. You know, Oh, sorry. We both have to take this emergency phone call at the same time. Sorry. You know, but that wasn't what it was. I said, so what are your alarms? They said, oh, we just had this alarm set in the middle of the day it, just to make sure we stop every once in a while and pray. We, we never, we, so we just remember to pray every day when the alarm goes off. I wasn't that cool? So, so I did it with them, of course. We just prayed right there. Uh, they, were, they were trying to remember to pray about a specific things. So we prayed together about it. And then we got back uh, to our conversation. I love that. It's simple. It's clear. It's easy. They know what to do when it happens. Maybe, maybe, your, maybe your daily disruption, dedicated to devotion, needs to look like that. Here are some goals that might be a good place to start. Okay, Just real short, real general, and then I'll talk a little bit about what they mean. Three goals that might be useful to them. Maybe you want to take a picture of these with your phone so you can think about it later, and you want to commit to one of these or a couple of them. Three goals that I would give you if, if you want your day disrupted in this way, punctuated with God. Number one, figure out how you're going to encounter the Bible every day. Number two, try praying before meals. And number three, try to learn to pray at every transition point of your day. These are three things you might want to try. What do I mean when I say encounter the Bible every day? Uh, Here's what I mean. I mean, read some part of God's word every single day of your life. That is a reasonable and attainable goal that will bear fruit in your life. Now, as you pursue this goal, that goal may grow. Maybe you know people who say, I'm gonna read the Bible through in a year, or I read six chapters a day, or I read for an hour every day. Awesome. Like if, you're, if that's already a part of your life, and for some of you, I happen to know that it is, praise God, but I am not talking to you right now. And, and, for, and for most of you, to start with a goal like that will rapidly lead to failure, and you'll be driven away from God's word, not closer to it. So when I say encounter the Bible every day, maybe you're starting with five verses. You know, some people are reading the, through the Bible, you know, read the Bible in a year. You're like, I'm reading Matthew in a year. That's, that's what I'm reading, you know. I'm reading Jude. It's like 30 verses long in a year. I'm going to get through it, the whole thing, Okay. Um, maybe that's where you need to start you don't need to read a ton read enough read enough how will you know you've read enough well when you've heard something when you've recognized something when you've noticed something about the beauty grandeur and glory of God I really do think actually starting with uh, like the gospel of John would be a really easy place to start and just read enough my, if you start with John 1, you'll have read enough. By the time you get to three verses the first day, you'll just read three verses. you like, oh, my goodness, that's enough. Whoa, oh. Great, you read three verses that day. Uh, I like paper best. I, I, I like to read on a paper Bible. Um, if you don't own a good paper Bible, we have paper Bibles in the, the, the trays, in the chairs in front of you. I mean this with all sincerity. If you don't own a good paper Bible, what I hope you will do is reach under and grab the one out of the tray in front of you. Grab a pen, put your name in it, take it home. That's your Bible. We have boxes more. We will restock before the next service. These Bibles are here for, you, for them to become your Bible. That's why we want them here? We want you to own a Bible. I, I I vastly prefer paper because for me, if I try and do it on an app on my phone, even though I'm trying to click the Bible app button, somehow my finger always clicks YouTube. Like every like it didn't go wah, just like my finger wah. I don't I don't know how that's just the way it works. I can't do the Bible app thing, but uh, but for, for for many people, a Bible app is great. Uh, I know a lot of our staff, I just kind of polled a bunch of our staff, a lot of them use different applications on their phone as their way of making sure they encounter the Bible every day. Uh, if you're, what's a good Bible app? There are lots of good ones, but honestly, the one that is just called Bible in most app stores is actually pretty good. It's put out by an outfit called Life Church TV. They're a very solid church. Uh, some of you know it. They also go by the name Version app, but now it's just called Bible. It's a great app. You can get reading plans or whatever, but you don't need any of that. Just all you gotta do is say I'm gonna read God's word every day. That's it. Just I'm gonna read, boom. Just gonna read a little bit of it. Maybe you wanna read Psalms every day. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Um, this is a different thing than studying the Bible, buying a bunch of commentaries, and arguing about what it means. This is different. This is just letting it prompt you to prayer. Read me one meaningful insight, and then let it drive you into prayer. Second thing, I want to challenge you, maybe this is going to be your disruption strategy, is to pray before meals. Some of us grew up with that as a tradition. We prayed before meals. I grew up with that. In my home, we prayed before every meal. Uh, You know, Breakfast, you were on your own, but lunch and dinner, we prayed as a group before meals. Um, I I love that tradition. I'm glad that was a part of my upbringing. And for some of you, that was too. If it wasn't, you could start it. You don't need to have learned that a kid. You can learn that as an adult. And I just, this is crazy meaningful for me. Uh, I I forget how long ago it was, but um, some number of decades ago, I realized that praying before meals had kind of become just kind of a habit for me. Thank you, God, thank you. you Um, And then I just realized, wait a second, I have this amazing opportunity. Every time I eat, I'm prompted to pray. I'm going to start taking advantage of it. I'm going to settle in. I'm going to stare at that sandwich and really re-engage with God. And I'm just telling you, if you can learn this discipline to let mealtime prayer become a real encounter with Jesus where you slow down and lay bare your soul and confess your sin and thank God for God's provision and trust God with what lies before you today, it can become one of the most important times in your life. And I'll just tell you, I want to tell you one particular way this has served me spiritually is it doesn't matter what I've got going on in my life, I get hungry pretty fast. Uh, I always eat three meals a day, sometimes six. So um, I'm a regular eater, okay, okay? And so here's what happens in my life. I'll get in a day where my day is just filled with rebellion. My day is filled with ignoring God, rejecting God's sovereignty. My day is just filled with greed and selfishness and internality and lust and pride. And then I start to get hungry. And then I start to get hungry, you see. And suddenly I know, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to face my God here pretty soon because I'm getting real hungry. I'm not gonna make it through this day without a meal, which means I'm not gonna make it through this day without stopping, punctuating a day filled with selfishness, punctuating a day filled with greed, punctuating a day filled with pride, punctuating a day filled with my own lusts and my own agenda, and suddenly I have to stop and face my God. A discipline of mealtime prayer can rescue you from a day gone bad. Take that very seriously. That is a, if you, that's a discipline you already have, begin to rejoice in it and invest in it. If it's not a discipline you have, learn it. it will, it's so awesome. Last strategy I want to give you, maybe you want to try this year, is prayer at transition times. Prayer at transition times. What do I mean by that? Uh, this, this is one we see again. You, if you want to go read Jesus, Jesus loved this strategy. He loved this strategy. Basically, anytime you're moving from one thing to another, pray. When you wake up, pray. When you go to bed, pray. When you start work, pray. When you leave work, pray. When you go to school, pray. When you leave school, pray. Before you take the test, pray. After you take the test, pray. Any transition between any things. When you begin to wash the dishes, pray. When you put away the last dry dish, pray. Every At every transition point, at every shift, pray. Every threshold experience. I forget... Who told me to do this? Uh, my days often are just filled with one meeting after another after another. Just walk from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. It's all I do all day long. Some of you have jobs like that. you know, Doctors, that's all you do, right? You walk from one meeting with one patient to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And that's, that's what you do. Uh, that's what my days are like too. And, and somebody years ago just gave me the thing that you realize. They said every, every time you do that, you have enough time to pray a blessing over the meeting you just had. And to seek God's wisdom for the meeting you're about to have. Even if it's all the time it takes to to open the door. To let one person out and the next person in. Maybe all the meetings happen in your office. You're letting one person out and one person in. That's enough time. You open the door. And as you open the door. You are praying a blessing over the meeting you just had. As you let the person in. You're praying God's sovereign care. Over the meeting you're about to have. I don't know what your transition times look like. Maybe your big transition time is when you go home from work. right, And you enter the home. And you're just just aware that you've gotten in a cycle of what you are bringing into your house is not very good for your house. And you know it. Everybody in your whole house knows it. You're bringing home anger, resentment, and bitterness, tension, selfishness, greed. And you want to bring something different into your house. Could you learn to pray from your car to your front door? Just Just cover that. Maybe you even need to stop. That's a threshold experience. I pray over a lot, the, the, the going home, especially when I had little kids at home. I just needed, I needed to be prayed up when I walked in that house that's so I could be the father that they needed me to be. And I would, I would just park in the driveway, and I would just pray until I was ready to walk in my own front door because they didn't need all the baggage that I was bringing home with me. These threshold prayers are so important. Again, you read Jesus' life. Jesus prays threshold prayers all the time, before and after and in between these transition points. At all these times, whether it's before meals, whether it's when you wake up, whether it's a threshold prayer, a transition prayer, um, just give you a simple little uh, thing I learned as a child that I still use. It's very meaningful to me, uh, but I want you to know a way of how to pray. I'll put this up on the screen. It's super simple. It's just the word acts. It's four words. Some of you have seen this before. Some of you want to take a picture of this right now because you're like, okay, this is the tool I'm going to use. This is the tool I use as I begin my day, as I drive to work, as I drive home from work. That's what what the tool I use in these threshold experiences. Adoration just reminds us to worship. We begin with worship. We want to worship God and give God praise for God's mercy and love. Confession. Confession is is a positive discipline and a negative discipline. We both confess our faith and we confess our sin. We confess our faith before we confess, and we confess our sin. Uh, We we confess, uh, one of my major prayers for a lot of these is, God, I am trusting you with what's about to happen. God, what's happening right now, I just, I give them, I give this whole situation into your trust. But I also confess my sin. Maybe sin that's relevant to the moment, maybe just something more general. Prayers of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. For God's care in the past and the present and God's care in the future. Prayers of supplication, asking for our needs, asking for our desires. I remember one of my biggest uh, transition annoyances, um, I don't know why this drove me so crazy, but uh, when I used to drop my kids off for school, the line waiting to drop them off never bothered me. Somehow that made sense. It was the line waiting to leave after having dropped them off. Like, come on, you've dropped your kids off. Just go. Just, just go. Just come on, let's just do it. Just hit the road. We've we go, got places to be, you know. Um, until I learned, okay, no, this is a transition moment. And I'm just going to pray. And so I, that's, that's when I pray, prayed for my kids every day. I dropped them off, and I'm waiting to turn left at a stop sign. Oh, my goodness, it took forever waiting to turn left at a stop sign. But it gave me like five minutes just to pray for my kids. Thank God for my kids. Pray for my kids. And you see, what we're doing is we're, we're letting the punctuation marks of our day transform the whole day. It'll, it'll just change it all. So, uh, a lot of us, our current calendars aren't working. Our current schedule, our current pattern of life isn't making us into the people we want to be. Uh, The solution, though, for that isn't a a new calendar. Uh, The solution is an old calendar. Jesus' calendar. And Jesus' calendar was filled with daily disruptions dedicated to devotion. He just filled his day with these. Every little nook and cranny was filled with a punctuation mark punctuation mark that changed the whole meaning of what happened before and what happened next I would just say personally this is an area that I need to grow in right now my day has lately have been insufficiently interrupted by devotion and a little too much just driving through on my agenda, my purposes, my goals my dreams and not enough interruptions Bring me back to God. I need to grow in this area right now. I have lived, in other seasons of my life, I have lived seasons of real strength in this area. But right now, I'm in a season of weakness. And so maybe you could pray for me that that I would hear this sermon. Uh, Maybe I'll listen to it later this afternoon. But I need to listen to the sermon that I'm preaching right now. And I'll pray for you. Because I have tasted this fruit. I have. I know what it is like when every beat of your day is punctuated by prayer. When every day of your life you are in God's word and hearing God's voice. When every transition, every meal, every new thing you do is a way that you stop. You just put a period on the end of the sentence. Long enough to breathe. Feel so your heartbeat slow just a second. And worship God. And thank God for what has been. And dedicate what is about to be to God and God's purposes. Ask God for what you need. And then move forward with just a little more trust than you had before you prayed. I'm going to pray that for you. Because I believe God wants that for you. God wants you to be so strapped in with Jesus, so yoked up with Jesus... That your daily rhythm would look a lot like his. I want you to know what my prayer is going to be for you. I'm not going to pray that you'll learn something about Jesus today. I'm not even going to pray that you'll agree with me that you need to pray more. My prayer is that you would, based off the example of Jesus, make a specific goal. Even right now. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to do that transition thing. Every time I move from one task to another, I'm going to put a little period, boop, pray. Then move to the next thing. That's, that's my prayer for you, is that you would make a specific commitment. And by the power of God's spirit, you might keep that commitment and see the fruit that comes from it. Let me pray for you right now. God, we want our lives to look like Jesus. We want to be so yoked up with him, so strapped in with Jesus, that where he moves, we move, and where he pauses, we pause. Which means we want our lives interrupted by prayer and discipline and devotion, interrupted by just a short time in your word that we might hear your voice, interrupted by an acknowledgement of your goodness and, and a plea for your sovereignty over our lives interrupted by the hunger of our bodies that reminds us of our spiritual hunger as well, God. May we, God, be prompted by your spirit to make specific commitments now and may we trust in your spirit to empower us to keep those commitments for your glory and the fruit of your love in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.